Today, our scripture is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And to read us our text today, uh, I don't know, I, we're a fresh encounter. Can we do this? Can we, can we welcome people to the stage with a round of applause on a Sunday morning still worshiping Jesus? <laughs> Connie Carter. morning. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 to the end. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let your our Lord now command you servants who are before you to seek a man who can be skilled in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit of the God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, behold, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent him by David, to his son, by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his bear, armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirits from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Yeah, why not? Thank you, Connie. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that these would be your words to your children, and just let it be a time of refreshment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you visiting today, this is part two of a sermon series, which is going to last a little over a year, but not all in a row. Um, And next week, uh, Kevin Peterson is going to be giving the message, as I'm going to be on vacation, starting, hoping by four o'clock today. Knock on wood. Um... So during this week, if you need anything, call Claire. Claire knows how to get a hold of me anytime. Um, and I'm still here for you, even though I'm going to be on vacation. I'll, we'll be in town much of the week, but we're going to step aside for a day or two. Two weeks from today, I want to bring you a message about the end times. It's something I've been working on. It's, it, it, we, we all talk about it. We all kind of feel it. And so I thought I would address it two weeks from today. So tell your friends. And um, we're just going to keep getting into it. But we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the title of today, part two message, is called The Toolbox When God Builds a King. Now, if we take this chunk of scripture, let me tell you something. We could get into a lot of stuff. We could get into the benefits of music, how it relaxes you. We could get into the thing of depression. We could get into the reality of how relationships where the king loved David, and then the next chapter, he's trying to kill him. How many of you have had that in your life? I'm telling you, man, betrayal is really, really hard. Betrayal is really, really hard. But as we look at this today, there is so much more, and I've come up with four points for you today that I want to look at about what God is doing when he builds a king. And guess what? 
They call you and I kings and queens of heaven. That's one of our nicknames, is you are a queen of heaven. I am a king of heaven. And some people say, well, does that put you on the same equal with, with Jesus? No, it's a turn of phrase. It means we belong to the king of kings and lord of lords. And because we belong to him, he gives us ideas and things throughout his scripture. He gives us principles for which we can flow with. And some of these principles as you study the word of God, not today, but some of these principles as you study the word of God, you realize you will never, no matter how many days you try, accomplish this stuff in your own strength. Anybody ever feel that way? You need God to supernaturally do stuff. And then there's a, a revelation day that'll happen to, to you if it hasn't happened already, and some of the mature Christians in the room, it's already happened, where your eyes pop open and you realize, I will never amount to anything for the kingdom without the constant help of the king. And the pressure's off, because I don't have to debate you. I don't have to sell you. I don't have to always be closing. I just got to present it. I proclaim this truth because I have lived it. I have seen it. Most of what you guys get on Sunday is stuff that I've already worked out and lived out and been hurt from or been helped from or been lifted up from or been knocked down from. That's how God builds his people. But in this example, he's building the king of Israel. He's building the line that is going to be the Messiah, the perfect one who's coming to take away the sins of the world. But all right, let's get into it. At one point in his life, Saul was used to accomplish great things. Many of you have been used by God to accomplish great things. And whether it was last night, last night was one of the, one of the most, <laughs> it might be hard for some of you guys because maybe it wasn't as special to y'all as it was to me, but last night was one of the best nights of my adult ministry watching men of God come together and shoot and eat a hog. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it was just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and amen. <laughs> and I want to use last night in the coming months because what we have is, I don't know if you guys really understand this, but there is a level of excellence that some of our men have when it comes to firearms that I don't think is appreciated. I love people who push to be elite. And I don't care what it is. If you push to be elite in something, you've got my respect. I don't even care if you are elite, as long as you're trying to be elite. But we have at least three guys that I know can shoot at an elite level. And it was just fun to watch them. Fun to watch everybody do their thing last night. Anyway, back to King Saul. He accomplished great things. So just because you've accomplished great things in the past doesn't mean squat for today. What's your relationship with Jesus like today? I look at King Saul all the time. Why? Because God's favor departed from King Saul, and I've always thought maybe that happened to me in 2013. Did it? I don't know. I don't think so, now in hindsight. But the David-Saul relationship has been dissected almost as much as like the prodigal son when it comes to extra-biblical activity that you can find out there. But see... Saul's going through desperate days. Simple answer, he's, he's rebelled. And God's removed his spirit, and now he's facing these violent mood swings. And David has already been anointed the next king. So you've got the anointing on you as a teenager, 
and you got years to wait till you're king, what are you going to do? Well, in this passage, we see that Saul actually calls David into his service based on a recommendation from somebody else. That other recommendation, did that come through? Did they know that David was anointed king? We don't ever really find out. But in this world, we find four things that God uses to build a king, and I'd like to share them with you today. Because I know they've helped me, and maybe they will help you. And these four tools God will use in your life and mine if you will allow him. Because these things you have the access to. Ready? Point number one. God uses the tool of solitude. God uses the tool of solitude. It was on the lonely hills of Judea with a flock of sheep as his companions that David learned some of the most valuable and basic lessons of life. He learned how to be alone with God and with himself, away from the distraction and noise of others. David learned how to hear the voice of God, and then he learned how to commune with God. Now, this is really important to see. We can think of it maybe like uh, going to basic training in the military, and then you eventually get to your duty station. Or right now, our NFL players are all in training camp, and college is going to start two-a-days, and then they what? They have the regular season in September, yeah? Well, the solitude of David with what he was doing, with what the scriptures revealed to us, that solitude was working on him like a basic training, like a -a two-a-day kind of thing. David learned the value and the kind of lessons it was to be alone with God and to commune with God. Now, our day, I think we struggle with what it's like to be alone with God. I think we sometimes have trouble having no noise. You know, one of the things Emily likes to do when we drive is have nothing on in the car, just sit and watch the, watch the, the, the passing by. I'm driving, so I don't get that same thing. And I learned over the years to appreciate it. We can sit in silence with nothing on in the car for, I'm over 30 minutes now. (laughs) Thank you for getting that. I know you're listening to me if you can pick up on that one. But I always like to have the music going. There's nothing to me. Look, this guy's probably not a Christian. I don't know much of his life at all. I've just been a fan of his music. His name is Brian Simpson, and he plays jazz music that I think is how jazz music should be played. And so I've got five Brian Simpson albums on my phone. I'll put it through the Bluetooth speaker, and I'll sit on the back deck overlooking the field of dreams, and I'm as happy as I've ever been in my life. But I've also learned that I can turn the music off, and I can just sit and talk to God. And it's just an amazing thing to be able to survive without noise and activity and without the company of others. Jesus Christ sought time to be alone with the Father. I'm not being off-putting. Emily's not being off-putting when she says to me, look, I just, I, I just want to chill for a couple hours by myself right now, if that's okay. Sometimes, we don't do that very often, but sometimes. And by the way, uh, it was a Tuesday, 38 years ago, this day, July 30th, at 19 years old, she agreed to go with me to the courthouse and we eloped. <laughs> Best decision I ever made. I don't know, she, she talks about it differently, but that's a whole other story. I joke. I got four scriptures right now for the midpoint of our, of our message or the 
getting close to the halfway point. I just want to show you in the Word of God that Jesus did what I'm talking about doing. Take some time. By the way, before I Can Only Imagine came out, the number one Christian movie of all time was War Room. What was the premise of that? Get alone with God. Get alone with yourself, yeah? All right, let's look at these four scriptures real quick. Mark 135. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. How about Luke 4.42? When it was day, he went out and made his way to the deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Luke 6.12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. You ever been in deep thought that turns into prayer? that turns back into deep thought, that goes back to prayer, you're praying the whole time. If you are his, you are praying the whole time. That's what Paul talks about when he says pray pray without ceasing. It's like my life is so um, absorbed into into, into God that when I'm thinking and stuff, sometimes me and God are, are hashing stuff out. I hope you are too. Last one, John 6, 15. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. If the Son of God saw value and need and the benefit of being alone with with God, how much more do you think we need that kind of intimacy with the Father? And when we go, we get also the Son and the Holy Spirit at the same time because of the time on the calendar that we live. We live in 2023, yeah? 2,000 years after this stuff, yeah? See, if we learn to hear his voice and walk with him, It is the times of solitude that God will prepare us for the greater things. And now, listen, don't miss this. Greater things may not look like what the world says is greater. Make sense? So find a way to make time and take time to get alone with God, away from the hustle and bustle of life. Find you a place where you can commune with God. That's the premise of the movie War Room. Um, I don't think I could sit in a closet because then I would go on the radio and say I came out of the closet and it would have a whole different meaning. Why was that joke funnier 10 years ago? I think we've become numb to it, to be honest with you. God uses the tool of solitude. Let's go on to point number two. God uses the tool of privacy. God uses the tool of privacy. Now, before David would ever sit on the throne and rule the nation of Israel, he would spend countless of hours alone, unacknowledged and unappreciated. Now, this is different from solitude because this is faithfulness when no one is looking when it really don't matter. Day after day after day after day. Did I mention after day he spent time with those sheep on the hills? There, David learned to be faithful with his responsibilities. He learned obedience. He learned humility. He learned to be watchful. He learned lessons in secret places that he could never learn in places of prominence. He was trained in the classroom of obscurity, as many of us are. And when he finally received the attention and the applause of others, it didn't go to his head. Why? Because he had learned the lesson that he had no one to please but the Lord. When you have solitude and you have privacy and you are his and you are redeemed and you are in the sanctification process, you will realize that you have one person to please and that's the Lord. And let me tell you something, the applause doesn't raise you up, 
and the criticism doesn't tear you down quite as far. You kind of have this more balanced lifestyle, and it's a sweet lifestyle. See, God always trains his people in private before he uses them in public. Before Elijah stood in power on Carmel, he learned to walk with God faithfully in private. 1 Kings 17 and 18. Before Elisha stood tall before Israel, he had to follow along Elisha. For what, a 24-month program? No, he was behind Elisha for like a dozen years, like a decade. Before Moses was fit to lead Israel, he had to spend 40 years watching sheep. And they weren't even his sheep, they were his father-in-law's. Jethro's sheep. The same truth can be said of the life of Jesus. Before he ever presented himself as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, he was raised in obscurity. Luke 2, 51-52. If you want to reference. See, it's in this place of privacy that God prepares the lamb for his greatest work. And it's in that place of privacy, God's going to convict you and call you and shape you and lay something on your heart that then you've got to work out. Is it really from God? Therefore, we can never, as sanctified, growing Christians, we, we really need to never, never despise the days of obscurity. Look, most people, once they're saved, they want to be used greatly by the Lord. Usually that's put in them by the Spirit. And we want God to do through us what we've seen him do through others. But what we must also realize is that it may not be God's will to do what others have done. God knows where we are in his time and he will use us when, where, and to the extent that he chooses. I'm convinced that there are those, I don't know what you want to call them, big dogs, the big dogs in the eyes of others. You go to NRB, National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and they're all there. You meet them all. You talk to them all. Everybody you see on TV, David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley when he was alive, blah, blah, blah. These big dogs, I believe, are going to have to step aside on Judgment Day. And some of God's greatest rewards are going to be for the precious saints who have labored in the secret closets of solitude and privacy. And they have been champions of the faith and nobody knows it. And there's going to be all these big dogs that are going to step aside as Jesus welcomes this little grandma from Iowa who nobody's ever heard of. You follow? I'm convinced that that's how God's going to roll. And it's going to be incredible for those of us to watch and see how many other saints were carrying our burdens with us in prayer. He has saved his best, I think, for those who have gone unnoticed, unrecognized, unacknowledged, unappreciated. And when you feel unappreciated and you say, that church doesn't appreciate me, I'm going to get upset, I'm going to get annoyed, understand Jesus sees it. And that needs to be enough. I've told you about the lady in Texas who left her church family, who left her church family because she wasn't recognized as the one who brought the colored toothpicks to the picnic. If that's your level, you're welcome here. But we want you to grow. We don't want you to stay in that kind of mentality. See, when we are feeling under and unappreciated, we are obviously not living our life for an audience of one. 
because he's always in love with you and he's always appreciative of all of what he's calling you to do. No, Jesus is not going to forget those who paid the price in prayer in their private life, and he won't forget you either. I've got seven scripture references if we wanted to. The point is, is that you look through the scriptures, you will see example after example after example after example of people who are just as bad as you are or worse than you living their life through finding Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why we, that's why we love it. Those of us who've been redeemed... We are here today, not because we want to be here. It's because we, don't, we know that if we're not here, we're going to feel worse later today because we missed out on something. It's like if you knew there was a great chef in town, he was cooking free food for everybody, all you had to do was show up and get fed, and all of a sudden you look at your watch and you forgot. It's like, oh, I missed out on that great food. That's how I feel when I miss church. Not every church, but a church like this, yeah, that's how I feel. See, there is a payday someday for the precious saints of God. And he may use you in a public way and he may not, but he's going to get the glory to himself and that's all that matters to him and he wants somebody who's pliable who will work with him. Let's go to point number three. Point number three today is God uses the tool of monotony. God uses the tool of monotony. There can be little doubt that day blended into day into day into the next day and then it blended into another week and then another day and then another week. And the monotony of keeping his dad's sheep. Countless days, endless routines, the same thing day in, day out. Creative types like me, this is the stuff that'll darn near kill you when you have to live that life. And this is what marked the life of David for many years. It was the monotonous routine of life that David learned to be a a man of God. There was on those mountains doing the same thing day after day after day. David learned the priceless lessons of faithfulness. See, David applied himself to the task of giving his best during the mundane times of life. Then God promoted him. Does it work any different with your employer? If you are the employer, does it work any different with your employees? Do you not love the ones who are always doing what they're supposed to be doing even when no one's looking? We have that here in Fresh Encounter, by the way. I notice it all the time. It's why I'm so excited to be the pastor here. You want one minor example? Well, it's not a minor, one major example. Uh, Ross and his food ministry. We never have to check on him. It's just, I don't know, Wednesday nights, food magically appears and I eat it. (laughs) See, when we deal with the monotony of life, and most of us have it in some way, shape, or form, it will give us the routine to shape us into greater things. This monotony was the routine that shaped David into greater things. Okay? We have an example of that in film cinema uh, from the 80s. You know what movie I'm talking about? The Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. All those mundane tasks got him, got him going. Now, I love that movie for that reason, but I hate that movie because he, the character's name was Daniel, and he kept calling him Daniel-san. So guess what I had in high school? I'd walk through the parking lot, and everybody, my friends would see me, and they'd all start doing this. <laughs> so for two years, I'd have people, hey, Chris, what's going on? I'm sorry, you haven't lived until you've seen three stone guys going, dude, we're over here. <laughs> There's so many people in this audience that are under 40 that have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Oh, sorry. Wax on, wax off. That's how he learned how to fight, right? It was, it was really cool. So we learn faithfulness in the seemingly insignificant areas of our life. What happens? God then expands your level of responsibility. Now, some of you are employers in here. And as employers or as the boss, you know what I'm talking about. Isn't that how you deal with your people? The people who are always faithful, don't you want to give them more responsibility? So those of us that have been good at our jobs that kind of bite sometimes because the boss then lays a bunch of extra stuff on us. But we want that as Christians. Matthew 25, 21 tells us what's going down. Let's look at it. I have it a little different in my notes than what's on the screen. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You who were faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of your master. See, when life feels like drudgery, just keep walking. He's preparing you for greater things. And remember, greater things doesn't mean greater the way the world looks for it. You know? What's greater? Just use my life as an example. What's greater? Being on the air in front of a couple hundred thousand people every day or being the pastor of 200 people in Iowa? What's greater? The world might say this. I'm telling you it's this. (laughs) I'm telling you it's this. What's your world like? What's going on in your world? Is there a, a drag on you from the monotonous life that you've been living that is causing you to think that God doesn't have his best plan for you? Those of you with young children, let me give you an encouragement. That day does come to an end. You don't think it's going to, but it does. Soon they're out there. And guess what? You're never not mom and dad. My oldest son this weekend turned 37. Yes, we eloped to the courthouse on July 30th, and 364 days later, our first son was born. (laughs) 37 years old, and... I think back to when he was in maybe his preteens and his siblings were younger. I thought we'd never get out of it. Many times I was working three jobs. You know, you, you, know, you hear about me doing all those TV commercials, and they were bad, okay? There's nothing to be proud of. Turn on your TV at 11 o'clock at night, and that guy comes out, hey! I was that guy. Got a job for you, 100 bucks. I'll be there. What do I need to do? You need me to scream or you need me to whisper this time? What do you need? You know, I'll do anything. And uh, I could get into that ditch for the next half an hour and tell you about that life. It was really fun on one hand, but it got to be drudgery. Think about the thing that you would trade your career for right now. If I had the eyesight and the skills, I would go drive a NASCAR right now. I would, if God would let me. There's drudgery in... NASCAR. I hosted the races every Saturday night. I was doing what I loved doing. I don't think I'll ever have a job I love as much as that one, but it got to the point where it's just drudgery. Why does God do that? Why does he give something that you love, turns it into something just plain Jane? Why is it that I can dream about owning a truck, a white Silverado truck, GMC Sierra, whatever, 
and then I'll see every white GMC and Silverado truck out there. I will work hard. I will dream about this. I know how I'm going to feel when I sit in that seat for the first time, and I finally go out, plunk the money down. I drive away in my new truck, and I am happy for 21 days. It's been proven. 21 times, 21 days, that's all you get. Don't care what it is. After that, it's your new normal. And what happens after your new normal? Drudgery. What used to be a blessing now causes you pain. These little things in our life that we allow to become drudgery that never used to can really set us back. That's why we take them to God in prayer. See, we keep being faithful regardless of the monotony, of the drudgery, regardless of how hard it gets. We sometimes need to get down to the little things in life, the foundation of our life. The foundation of your life, you need to identify it if you have never identified it. And when you start thinking about it in these terms, you will start up here with the grandiose, the foundation of my life is my home, my, my pension, my income, my, my family, my wife. And you start narrowing it down. You want to know what the foundation of my life is? The foundation of my life rises every morning over a cup of coffee with my wife and we try to have a devotion. That's the essence of my life. And I'm living better than most of y'all. You say, Chris, that sounds boring. That sounds terrible. If that's the best you got every day, that's the foundation. Understand your foundation is Jesus Christ pleasing him and him alone. And after that, these little things in life. Walking my dogs is a joy to me. I know I'm old. (laughs) But see, that's what happens. When things are going bad and you don't think God's listening, keep praying. When nothing's happening at church, still keep coming here. Maybe you can help us. When things get tight financially, keep giving. You know, living for Jesus and keeping Jesus in the forefront of our life, day in and day out, refuse to back off or turn back, refuse to listen to anything else other than this, and you will find yourself growing in the Lord. In his time, he will bless you and reward you for being faithful, for doing the routine things of life. Let's go to the last point and bring it home today. God uses the tool of struggle. If you can't see the struggle that's in front of you based on the first three points, you should see them in here. See, David's life was not about the mundane things. We hear him tell encounters in the middle of all that mundane things. In our text today going forward through chapter 19, 16 through 19, you will see that David has an encounter with a lion. That wasn't enough. He has an encounter with a bear. We watch as he walks alone in the valley and then kills a giant named Goliath. We see him ignored, criticized, and underestimated. And we can even see him as he is hated and being pursued by his once, I don't know if you want to call it friend. Saul admired David, right? Saul loved David. David was like his favorite employee for a minute. And now he wants to kill David. See, God then uses adversity as a tool. Adversity as a tool designed to teach David about power, provision, and providence of God. Do you hear another little sermon right there? 
one verse, we could do two, two weeks on it. Many of the great people in the pages of Scripture knew more about the Lord in the furnace of affliction than they ever could have otherwise. I don't like this part of Christianity. I don't like telling you this part of Christianity. But it's true. So I gotta tell you, and I gotta live it. When we are afflicted, and God allows it, sometimes it's the best thing that could ever happen to us because of what God has planned on the other side. You have anybody in scripture you can mention to give me some hope, Chris? Yeah. Three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter three. Daniel himself with the lion's den. Elijah, Noah, the widow in 2 Kings chapter four. Look her story up and just try to absorb, read that paragraph that she's in, or the two paragraphs she's in. Read that over about seven or eight times. A couple different translations. Y'all have your device that has 20 translations on it. Read the widow in 1 Kings chapter four and think about the desperation she had. How about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Jesus told people, look, I'm going to stay here for a couple extra days and not even go over there to help them until after Lazarus is dead long enough so that God can get some glory. Think about being rejected by Jesus. He said he's not going to come right now? Why? Jarius, the thief on the cross. I mean, but, 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 but you can go hundreds of them. See, God allowed David to walk through hard places so that he might use him for greater work in the future. I know he did that with me. I know he's doing that with some of y'all. But I don't know what the other side looks like yet. So that's why we walk faithfully together, trying to encourage each other. See, God prunes us in the garden of affliction so that we might be used in a greater way for his glory. Listen to this again. I'm going to say this sentence one more time, and I want you to hear your own word and your own significance in here. God prunes us in the garden of affliction so that we might be used of him in a greater way. Come with the pruning shears for my life, and I don't like it. I don't care for it. I don't want it. Do you see how insignificant I am in this sentence? What about you? Do you see how insignificant you are? You're not even so significant that God's going to replant you and not have anything touch your leaves. No, he's going to cut right into you. Why? So that you're pruned back, so that you grow. I hate pruning. John 15, it's not in my notes, but read John 15 just for fun. The great gardener will prune us, but what, what else will he do? He'll graft us in. He grafts us in the vine. And those of us who stay in the vine have nothing to worry about, and we just live with a little bit extra joy than everybody else. Same problems. Oh, I still see you get mad and frustrated. Well, yeah, we all get mad and frustrated. The difference is we don't stay mad and frustrated. Jesus brings us out of that. Anyway, that's another story. See, many people do not respond correctly to their struggles. Your pastor is one of them. It's taken him years to get to this point. Many get upset, and they sit down on the Lord. The last time I totally sat down on the Lord was 2013. I gave up. I thought God was playing three-card money with me. You guys know the street game, three-card money? They play that in Iowa? I don't know. Got to find the queen. Dude's shuffling the three cards, and you find the queen, you win $10. You find the queen again, you win $10. Hey, let's play for 100 this time. Oh, yeah, I'm two in a row. 
You don't find the queen that time? It's called three-card money. That's the game. That's when I felt God was playing with me. I, I thought you called me here. I'm going to do this, and, not, and, and I'm just getting kicked in the face. Well, I, I thought I could go over here and be faithful, and you told me that that bites too. Nothing, everything I, I used to, everything I touched used to turn to gold. God, why is everything I touch now sour? What season of life am I in? What did I do to deserve this? My story is too deep for today, but you have your story in your heart. And let me just share with you just this last little nugget. I know for a fact that God allowed me to go through some things. And when I went through these things, it was so that I could be better in the future. Now, what does better look like? Better father, better husband, better, better what? Maybe better at sitting in solitude on my back deck in Iowa, overlooking the field of dreams, listening to God speak to me. Do you see what I mean? In our minds as Americans, with the American dream and all that, when we hear better, we immediately think bigger, more money, more prestige, more fame. That's not God's better a lot of times. Sometimes, sometimes it's not. What if Satan wants you to be world famous and God knows that it's going to wreck you? Is it a blessing that he didn't let that happen to you? I'm just asking. See, when we get upset and we sit down on the Lord, it's a very sad place. And I don't believe that there is the written word, that there is a preacher, there is a lover, there is a father or a mother, a sibling that can pull you up out of that. I believe that there's only one thing that will pull you up out. When you have been redeemed, you have been justified, you are sanctified, you're growing in the Lord, and stuff happens and you decide to sit down on the Lord, there's only one thing that'll help you. Now, all these other things may be being used by God to work for his good, but it's his spirit and his spirit alone that reaches down and lifts you up. And guess what? The spirit's gentle. It's like a dove. Ever seen doves land on a, like a, we were in, at this camp one time, and, and they, you know, you ever, those old cabin screen doors, you know, how they creak open and they slam, you know, that slamming sound? Well, there's these doves that landed on this thing, and this kid came walking out, and the, thing, the screen door slammed, and those birds just flew away. Never forgot that. That was a little tiny visual from 40 years ago that I keep in my head. The dove is a gentle thing. The Spirit of God wants you surrendered to him. In the middle of your struggles, don't forget you're surrendered to him. And that spirit will lift you up. It's been said that life is about 10% of what happens to you and 90% about how you respond to what happens to you. May God help us not despise the tool of struggle. For it can build character far quicker than any other tool in God's toolbox. Which is why the more we sit around, the less we build muscle mass. How do you build muscle mass? You gotta work it. Right? May God help us utilize our struggles for the glory of the king. As God was molding David upon the wheel of life, he kept shaping this boy into a man who would become the king, and not just any king. When I hear, you know, King Charles or King Henry III or even the Spanish king, King Alfonso, who we named our dog after, that's a long story, I always think of them in lesser terms. There's one step up above all these kings, and that's King David. Because the one who's above him is above all of them. The son of David, the Messiah, 
the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So David is being molded. And verse 18 of our text today gives a glimpse of a man David would one day become. And think about this. These are the attributes that marked David's life. These are the same attributes that can be uh, for us as well. So I want to end with this. These are the characteristics God wishes to develop in each one of the people that are listening to me, either online or here in this room. Are you ready? Let's look at verse 18, a little closer today as we, as we get ready to bring it home. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Lear, lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. All I need is that last line. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Look at the life you're living. It's not the life that other people think you're living. You know, let's, it's 2023. We have so much technology. We have so much noise. We don't even have time to think about other people the way we used to. Nobody's worried about you, bud. Nobody cares. What are you doing? What's your life? You got to reconcile your own world. Can you see the evidence of God's work in you like it ought to be? Can you see room for improvement in your own life? There's not an honest person on the planet that can't see room for improvement in their life. Now, if you've been struggling against the work of Jesus Christ in your life, I'm I'm asking you politely, publicly to stop. You're not helping yourself. If you've been struggling against the challenges that nobody knows about and you want some help, we're here. Last week I said, hey, I got time this week. Boy, that was a mistake. Or was it? No. It was a rough week as far as time. I mean... 13 of y'all decided to answer that call. I was hoping for three. It's been great. I love spending time with you guys any way that I can help you. I'm gone next week, but after that, it's on, man. I mean, we're here. I challenge you to take them to Jesus. I'll be here for you. We got six elders. We got some other people coming up in the pipeline that I think are going to be leaders in this church. A lot of them are here, we're here for you. But we're nothing compared to God. Take your struggles to God right now. If you've been struggling against his work in your life and you know you're supposed to be here with us, you know you're supposed to be doing some stuff, but you're just not ready to. God is in the business of building his children. What's he doing in your life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a conclusion to this message as I didn't really have one planned. And Lord, I, I don't like thanking you for the struggles, but I have to because I know how they work. And Lord Jesus, I would just ask that you would open the eyes and hearts of your, your children now. Continue throughout this week. Bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics 
entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.